This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Hey, business storytellers, it's Christoph Trapp. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Business Storytelling Podcast. Today, I know you guys like hearing about freelance tips. The the podcast with Ashley Cummings, she did her little uh, survey or study, how much freelancers charge and that kind of thing. Freelance writers, particularly specifically, uh, still in the top five a uh, few months after it published. So people are still listening to that and still find that interesting. So moving right along on the topic of freelancing, what are the things you want to consider? What are the the laws, if we want to call them that, of freelancing? Today I'm joined by uh, Stefan Palios. He's based in Toronto, uh, publisher at remotelyinclined.com and author of the 50 Laws of Freelancing, which you can also buy on Amazon, the direct link here, C-Trap, dot online forward slash freelance. Stefan, how's it going? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? Living the dream, hanging in there. I go between, I want to leave my house and I would never want to leave my house again, right? I feel that, yeah. (laughs) We're all kind of in that weird space, I guess. Um, So awesome. Well, freelancing. So tell tell me Mm -hmm. about the... Um, you you published the book. It looks like it's pub- it's selling pretty well. Yeah. And the fifty laws of freelancing. What what prompted you to put that together? Uh, yeah. So it was uh, an interesting build on itself journey. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I didn't really set out to become a published author when I started my business. And uh, the the freelancing side of things, I actually started freelancing by accident. Um, I was literally cornered at an event. Uh, I had been doing some writing under my own name and just self-publishing and, you know, the occasional article for a, a small tech publication called Betakit, which has actually grown to be quite prominent now. So uh, just for time, this is back in 2017. And I literally got cornered at an event and someone goes, are you Stefan from Betakit? And I'm like, oh, good Lord, did I write something bad about your company? Please don't hurt me. Um, And I said, you know, yeah, uh, that's me. What's up? And he says, you know, I love your writing. Can I please pay you to write for me? And that was the start of my freelance business in 2017. Um, I had just shut down my previous company. I tried to start a tech startup and it failed in spectacular fashion. And so I was not going to turn down the money. And uh, I I just kind of continued. And then he referred me to someone and then I got another email and another outreach. And so that was kind of it. Now, fast forward to 2019, um, I actually decided to take the business full time. It was just a side hustle until then. And then I became a full time freelancer in January 2019 when I left my uh, hopefully last knock on wood startup job. And 2020 happened and then COVID happened. So we're all inside. And one of the things that I had done at the end of 2019 was just give away a lot of free consulting sessions. I ended up doing about 50 consulting sessions where I would just give advice to freelancers and to content writers. So if you were a content marketer or a freelance writer, I just said, you know what? 2019 was a good year for me. I'm really grateful for it. I want to give back. And 
you know, I started giving advice to people and they started coming back to me and saying it worked. I had one freelancer who said that I saved her thousands of dollars from a bad purchase decision because I helped her realize the technology platform that she was going for wasn't going to work. And I, someone else said I helped them close a client. Someone else said my advice helped them get a feature in the media. And I'm not even in PR. It just, from a content perspective, helped him. And so I started thinking, cool, like I want to scale this out a little bit more. It's not really feasible for me to be doing um, calls all the time. It was just taking up a lot of my time. So I was going to write a blog post. I'm currently accepting requests for future virtual and on-site keynotes and workshops. In 2020 alone, I've spoken in Singapore and Istanbul, virtually of course, thanks COVID. I can't wait to get back on the road. And if we still can't get on the road in 2021, I would be happy to speak at your event virtually. Please reach out to me, ctrap at gmail.com or authenticstorytelling.net. And I started outlining this blog post. And by the time I started outlining, I said, okay, well, it's getting a little longer, getting a little longer, getting a little longer. And I decided to give it a shot and say, hey, can I write, you know, an ebook? And I, I thought I'd go to, you know, those classic lead gen ebooks that we've seen in the uh, in the tech world, especially that are, you know, 15 pages or whatever. And then it started getting even too long for that. And I thought, huh, could I actually write a book? And so that was the the earliest iterations of what would become the 50 Laws of Freelancing. And this whole process actually started in late May, early June of 2020. And then I kind of used all the free time that I wasn't commuting uh, to write the book and it ended up going live just last month in August 2020. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank to, you. To get that out there. Uh, and why are there 50? Is that just what you came up with? Or like, was that a goal? Or how? How did you come up with them? Uh, yeah, we're we're friends, so I can be honest with you. Um, it was it was a mix of actual quantity. You know, I, I was outlining, and then I started thinking very consciously, frankly, a little bit from a marketing perspective. Um, but the reason that I opted for fifty was because I had done about fifty consulting sessions, and each conversation was just a little bit different. And so I had all these notes and thoughts from the conversation, um, and then. I decided to put it all together. The other thing, to be very honest, is I was uh, inspired by the the different books of like the the art of seduction and the laws of power and all that. So I, I liked that that concept of of collating and coordinating this knowledge into very actionable things. Um, and the other thing that I explain in the introduction is that I don't necessarily claim that I'm providing some groundbreaking information you've never heard before, but instead that I very consciously thought about the freelancing world. I very consciously analyzed what was going on um, and was giving out all this, this free advice. So it, it ended up wrapping up in a nice bow of 50 uh, with a bonus law, actually, which you'll get at the end of the book if you read it. Very interesting. And give us some examples. What are the, the, the most important laws that freelancers need to be aware of? Or is it for freelancers or is it for people working with freelancers? It's for freelancers. So it's specifically all about getting set up and getting clients and serving those clients and then, you know, making way more money at the end of the day. So 
the laws, I like to say they're all important, but uh, if you are looking for something specific, and I, I frequently give a talk about how I built an inbound funnel for my business, where I don't actually send any cold pitches really in order to get business these days, and I haven't for quite some time. And that all starts with uh, a super foundational law. It's law number 12 in the book, um, but it's all about getting the one-liner going. And what I mean by this one-liner is a simple statement that is what you do as a freelancer and who you serve and the problem you solve. But it has to do two very specific things. It has to be easy to understand, but it also has to be easy to repeat. And the example that I always give is my own. I say I am a freelance writer for startups and venture capitalists, which I would say is only about 80% true. If you really started asking me about everything that I do, I would tell you that I am a writer, I'm an editor, researcher, I've done email content, social media content. It kind of runs across the board, even all the way out to strategy and writer writing coaching, where I help junior content marketers up their game. But the idea that I say I'm a freelance writer for startups and venture capitalists, it makes it really easy for you to just quickly understand what I'm doing at a general level. I call it good enough. But more specifically, it makes it really easy for you to repeat it. You don't have to remember much uh, in order to say, oh, yeah, like I met Stefan. He's a startup freelancer uh, or a startup freelance writer. Like hopefully you get those three words. Um, but that has helped me immensely with content or with clients rather, because someone will come up to me and say, I've heard about you from someone else. They said you're a freelance writer. Is that true? And it immediately starts prompting the conversation because someone feels that they kind of already know you. Um, so that's one of the laws that is just incredibly foundational, especially if you have a little bit of work, but you realize that you're kind of stumbling along and not getting the kinds of clients you want. Interesting. So, so you're so the book is for freelancers, but you actually, I mean, you're also using it to an extent, right, to find um, clients. I, I don't necessarily use it to find clients, but the the cool part about it is, you know, I published it and it hit the top ten bestseller list for small business books, and that has helped me a little bit from a brand perspective. Uh, so it's not that I go to someone and say, hey, I'm the author of this book, uh, you should hire me to write for you. But instead, it, it does, frankly, prov hopefully provide a little bit of credibility where I've put my knowledge on paper, I've put my knowledge out in public. So if you want to vet me, you might go take a look through the book, maybe do a, a free preview read on Amazon Kindle or something. Got it. Plus, I mean, every time you, you have a book, it does establish people more and more as an author, uh, as an expert, quite frankly, right? Because Hopefully. You can say you're an author. I want yeah. people to think I'm an expert. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, looks like it's going well. Great. And so talk about, like, uh, how, how do people get started if they want to start freelancing? What's the, I mean, you started it on the side, I guess, mm -hmm. and then you took it full time. How, how, how do people get there? How do they uh, how do they do it and how do they differentiate? Absolutely. So I, I've had this conversation with a couple folks, whether they unfortunately lost their job, and, and unfortunately, that's been more common lately, or just curious about it. And the way that I explain it to them is to say, figure out everything you are capable of doing, 
because sometimes you can be a very multifaceted freelancer, especially in the early days when you don't have a niche yet. But then from there, figure out what you're actually good at. Because at the end of the day, uh, and this is actually the first law of the book called Know Your Expertise, freelancing is about someone hiring you to get something done that usually requires either a niche skill set or um, a skill set that is rarely used by any one company, but is used across many companies. And so as you're thinking of just getting started, you need to be able to deliver something at a high, at a high rate and at a, a high quality level. And that's what you got to start with. So for example, let's say that you want to be a social media freelancer and you know a thing or two about social media growth. You can write a little bit of copy. You can do general campaign strategy and you know a little bit of paid. Um, If you go out to market and you're just getting started and that's what you say, it's like, yeah, I can do all these things. You're probably going to lose business to every social media freelancer that has more experience than you, which when you're getting started is everyone. But if you go in and do that second step of acknowledge what you're really good at, and let's say in this instance, you can kind of do everything for social media, but you're really good at helping companies get their accounts set up. So it is on brand, it is cute, it is perfect. Um, That can be a huge way for you to get a wedge to get your first couple clients where maybe it's a a small startup that the founders, maybe a coder just has no idea what's going on with social media. And they're thinking, great, I'll pay you a little bit. You'll at least get me set up. And then maybe I'll continue working with you on the growth side and on those other elements that you can do, but maybe you're not super strong at. Um, You might also find that that's a niche unto itself where there are enormous enterprise companies that you have never heard of, multi-million and even multi-billion dollar companies that still haven't figured out their social media presence. And you could potentially become (laughs) the, yeah, you're laughing because you know it's true. You could potentially become that niche freelancer that helps multi-billion dollar enterprises set up their social media accounts. That's a wildly profitable potential opportunity. So that's the big one. If you want to get started, it's take a list of everything you can do. And I, I mentioned this myself, I can write blogs, social media, research, emails, blah, 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 blah. But I'm good at writing blogs and doing customer interviews. And I'm good at doing research and editing. And I focus on those things. And I would recommend that to be your step two. And you go to market with what you're good at. So that even when you don't have a massive client rapport to say, look at all this stuff I've done, you can stand behind your own statement and say, you know what? I am good at this. I know I can deliver. Give me that shot. So how do you, first of all, how do you figure out what your niche is, right? So it it, it kind of, um, I mean, it depends on what you're good at, right? But um, not everybody can write for every um, every discipline of writing. I mean, there's mm-hmm. different right? I mean, I could be a good blogger, for example, or good with SEO, Mm -hmm. but I might not be able, might not be the best copywriter for ads or something. Who knows? Yeah. Um, How how do you figure out what's your niche and how do you match that up with that people are actually looking for help? Yeah, uh, that is a great question. So there are two two things that I think of, um, because the other part for me is 
using my own experience, I had no idea what my niche was until uh, somebody asked me to give it a shot. And that's actually the first answer that I would say. It's uh, law number 28 in the book, but the principle is to try everything and then stick with what you like. So, Mm -hmm. you know, part of it is, of course, you've got to know what you're decent at. And that might take some introspection. Um, That might be something if you have the resources to hire a business coach to help you, that could be great. But once you have that general thing of like, you know what, yeah, I can do this, this thing, this tangible skill, try different stuff. For me, it was, I tried writing my own newsletter, still do remotely inclined. I run a small blog just to put out my ideas on the internet and make, you know, two bucks from advertisements. Um, I tried different social media platforms, different communities. Uh, Even I did a cultural exchange where I went to France and helped a a family restore a chateau for a few weeks. And all of these little things help you get a better sense of yourself, but then also are net new experiences that you can think, do I like that or not? And always stick with what you like, cut out everything else. The way that I say it is you're either going to find a new client opportunity or you're at least going to have fun. Um, but the second part of that, if, when you're trying to figure out your niche is to, uh, think about your own professional development and try different stuff, run an experiment. If you think that you might like writing, or you think that you might be a good blogger, try writing your own blog. It's one of the best ways to prove to a company that you mean what you say, because you're not only going to have an example to show, but you're also showing that you have your own skin in the game. You're putting in some effort when someone isn't paying you. Um, and, And those two things alone is how I have evolved my business. So I was very, very lucky that somebody read my blog online and said, I like your writing, can I pay you? But even that was, as I mentioned, I put some, I put some of my own skin in the game. I put my name on something. I put my words into the world and that gave me my first opportunity. So don't hesitate to focus on your own professional development because you're going to learn more anyway, but then also think about it from this lens of being open to trying everything and then sticking with what you like, because you're either going to enjoy it or find clients or both. And very true. And that's, I mean, one reason why I uh, love to blog, even though people read it or even podcasting, right? You're trying new things. You're seeing how it works. Yep. Uh, you, you you find new channels. I mean, this podcast, I think it's on like 16 channels, you know, Amazon Music, Pandora, everywhere. And, yeah. you know, you, you learn how to do that. And it's kind of, uh, you know, you, you show off that you know how to do it. Kind of oh, what yeah. You just mentioned. Um, how about, uh, so when Ashley was on the show, she talked at length about how, how freelancers price and, um, you know, some price by project, some price mm-hmm. by hour, some price by word, uh, and two out of those three, I'm not a big fan of, uh, how, how do you suggest that people price for their projects? Oh, I'm a, a huge advocate of pricing for uh, deliverables or for value created. So for for an outcome. And it's actually funny that you bring up Ashley. It's a bit of a small world. I was on a Twitter chat with her three hours ago before before Mm -hmm. recording this with you. And she's she's fantastic. And I love that study that you're referring to. And my my thought, like I said, is all about pricing for deliverables. The thing with freelancing is that at the very beginning, 
um, you are wide open. So it might be tempting to say, oh, yes, per hour or per word, which I just very much don't like. Um, but the problem is that two things. One, it's not scalable. If you charge per hour, you can only work so many hours in the day. It, you know, Same situation with um, employment. At the end of the day, you need to focus on the value you create, not your necessarily your hours put in. But the other side of charging on a per word or a per hour rate is that it incentivizes your clients against you. You know, if if you were hiring me uh, and you said, okay, I want you to write a blog and I say, okay, here's my hourly rate. You are going to be sitting there counting the minutes because that's a, a dollars for you every time an hour goes by. That's real money for you. Um, whereas on the flip side, if I'm very quick and efficient, I'm going to be sitting here going, huh, how can I kind of draw this out a little bit so that I get the amount of money that I think is fair for what I'm doing right now? And we all do that kind of logic. <clears throat> and unfortunately, the the pricing model of a per hour or per word, it, it just pits you against each other. You and your client are not aligned to producing the best outcome. You as a freelancer are incentivized to be as talkative or take as long as possible they're incentivized for you to do it as quickly or as in few words as possible. And that completely ignores the fact that you're not telling the right story or you're not producing the right outcome. Um, the other thing I like about per deliverable pricing or per outcome pricing is that there's opportunities to fix mistakes. So I'll be very honest, I've delivered content to clients before and they come back to me and go, Stefan, I'm going to be honest, I'm not really happy with this right now. There, there are a couple challenges, there are a couple issues, I'm not sure that this is the narrative that we want. And I love being able to respond with, oh, no problem, I'm going to, I can fix that for you. What, what's the issue? Let's talk about it. Let's resolve it. Because when you price for value or price for outcome, I can wrap in an editing round. I can wrap in a, a tiny bit of a premium up front, knowing that that client is probably going to need a little bit more service. So at the end of the day, they're getting exactly what they paid for. Um, and they're getting an actual thing that they get to do something with. You know, they get a blog post that they get to publish instead of, they get X hours of my time, whether I produce anything useful or not. Yeah, the whole time thing is, I, I'm not a big fan of it either. The way I put it to people sometimes, I say, you know, I've done this this one thing for 10 years and why would you get to pay for 15 minutes just because it takes yes. 15 minutes? That's and then on the flip, on, right, and then on the flip side, um, there's some things, like some stuff changes all the time, right? Absolutely. So it might take it might take me a while to figure something out. Um, and I'm like, why would you have to pay extra? Because it took me longer to figure out yes. something I've, you know, it's like, it's so it's, it is kind of dumb. Um, every once in a while I do by word, honestly, if it's close to what I would have charged them anyways. Fair. And <laughs> you I know, there are some cases where someone says, I want X hunt X words and I'm going to pay you X rate. And so it's kind of fixed in that way. So they call it per word, but really it's per deliverable because they're going to pay it to you anyway. And then you figure it out. Absolutely. And do you think, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many writer freelance writers are out there. I think Ashley actually had the, the number in her report maybe, but, but is there, I mean, is that still a market people should dive into or, or, or do we have enough freelance writers out there? 
Uh, well, I mean, selfishly, please don't come for my startups. No, I'm kidding. Um, the, the short answer is there's definitely opportunity because this has even happened to me where you need different kinds of writing or different tones or different uh, expertise. So, for example, I mentioned I have a lot more to me than just freelance writer for startups going in a little bit more deep. I've done uh, original research on diversity and inclusion in the workplace. It was the topic of my thesis in university. Um, I have a lot of knowledge on remote work, both as a practitioner, but then also someone who's recently started researching it out of passion and hobby. Um, I used to be an HR consultant, so I know a thing or two about HR and recruiting. I used to work in media, so I know a thing or two about media. And so those help me a lot because a client can come to me and say, hey, you know, we need some remote work content. Okay, I'm I'm a good potential fit for that. Um, but then also, I also write very specific types of articles. Uh, my strength, again, is that a, a blog or an interview format with a client or with a, an interviewee. And that might not be what someone wants. So just uh, three weeks ago, even I, I punted a pretty big deal over to a friend of mine, because they needed some hyper specific niche web copy for B2B sales that was going to be turned into their Facebook ads. And that was one of those things where I'm sitting going, I can do that. I'm technically capable of writing those words, but I don't think there's going to be a good ROI there. We're going to have a lot of frustration between us. Whereas my friend is a fantastic B2B freelancer. She also works with startups, but she has that niche knowledge of she lived in building websites, whereas I lived in building blog content. So that's where it all goes back to knowing what you're actually good at versus knowing what you're simply capable of. Um, when you have that in mind, there's definitely room. And then the other part of freelancing is a lot of it is a business to business relationships game. And if you're willing to invest in building relationships, whether digitally or in person, or well, with COVID, mostly digitally these days, but hopefully back to some in person, then you can win business on relationships alone. Um, you know, for example, I mentioned at the beginning of our chat that I tried to start a tech startup that failed miserably, but that interestingly enough actually helped me because when I talk to a founder now, I know some of their very fundamental problems because I lived it. Similarly, another friend of mine, another freelancer used to work for uh, a big four accounting firm. So when she talks to startups, she is able to come in with the mentality of, I know the types of processes that you're trying to build right now, because she can talk to scaling startups, whereas I focus a little bit more on earlier startups. So the, the long answer to that question is, is there's definitely room, particularly in freelance writing, because uh, so many people need good help with writing. Um, I include myself in that. I can always learn more. I don't mean to say that I'm better than anybody, but... It, there's absolutely room. And do you think, so do, do writers, do they need to be experts in the topic they're writing about or do they need to be experts at like interviewing people in that area and writing about it? Or how, how do you, what's your philosophy around that? Yeah, so the way that I think about it is there are three elements in being a really great content marketer. There is the process side. So as you said, you know, interviewing and actually writing and being able to put good words on paper. Um, there is domain expertise of you do you know about 
history or music or tech or whatever, whatever that, that niche subject is. And then the third one is the business mentality of it. So do you understand how content is not just a product unto itself, but is part of its own ecosystem of content, but is also part of a business driver, depending on what the leader needs content to actually accomplish for the organization. So uh, the way that I think is you have to have the actual, the hard writing skill. And maybe that's not interviewing. Maybe you're not the best interviewer, but you can turn a, uh, a recorded interview into an amazing blog post. The fundamental thing is you have to know how to write if you want to be a freelance writer. Um, but then you need at least one of the other. Ideally, you have all three. That's what makes you the strongest possible freelancer for any given job. But if you can come in and say, I'm a strong writer, I know how to interview people, I know how to research, and I know exactly how to understand what your CEO is telling me, then I'll go research that domain expertise. Or if you are a great writer and you have that domain expertise, then you may not even need to fully understand the business side. You need a little bit, but you're going to write such fantastic, on-point, accurate, beautiful articles that they can apply it to their business context no matter what because you have such great domain expertise. So start with the critical skills of writing, which are basically, you know, you're outlining, interviewing, research, drafting, and editing, and uh, then ideally get the other two, business and domain, but if you can't, then at least be strong in one. Yeah, and so define, what's a good writer? I mean, it's, you know, is it, uh, I mean, that has evolved, I assume, over the last couple yeah, of decades. I thought right? you were going to ask me this. It, um, <laughs> I mean, it used to be, if my editor thought I was a good writer, I'm a good writer. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but now it's, I mean, it's, there's much more in it, right? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. if, if nobody reads my stuff, it's not good content. Yeah. Um, even though people would argue with me about that, but uh, yeah. I think that's true. That's, there's an interesting like purist argument that, that good is good without audience. Um, I, I have, I have a, a toe dipped in that pond um, because I think on some level creation should be protected even without audience. But at the same time, I work in business. So I'll put that business hat back on. Um, the way that I define good is, is very contextual to the client. Um, and what I mean by that is that good copy mirrors to some extent how a company likes to talk about itself, how its leader talks about uh, the company, how the team talks about themselves, um, while at the same time taking the ethos, you know, reading between the lines, what do they really mean when they say they are X and communicating that outward. So my definition of good is a bit more of can the company read it and see themselves in the copy? And then can their intended audience read it and resonate with what's being said. The, that's kind of my judgment. And it's actually one of the reasons why before I start any engagement with clients, I will ask them, who, who am I actually speaking to? And then what do you want that reader to know, feel, or do when they're done reading your content? Because sometimes you want them to understand, sometimes you want them to feel something, sometimes you want them to do something. And when you have both of those elements, you have how the company understands a topic and how you want the audience to digest a topic, then you with the ability to write and hopefully some domain expertise can really 
create fantastic writing that would be that would be defined in my understanding as good. Yeah, and so what's interesting about that too is, of course, we want the content performance, but at the end of the day, you still have to get it by all the people that yeah. want to have their finger in it. Um, and what tips do you have for that? I mean, you know, I've had people who wanted to change stuff that is not the best uh, change, right? They want yeah. to change, like we're going after keywords and they want to change it to something else that we know is not going to rank because nobody searches for those terms. Yeah. Um, so, so what are your tips to, to, to work with clients on that, that piece of it? Uh, yeah. So what I have started doing, and this is learned uh, of years of mistakes, uh, but what I've started doing is before I start writing, uh, and, and actually I try to do this in the sales call, even before I even sign a contract is I will literally ask someone, what is your selfish reason for doing content? I will say that exact question. I found that it has been particularly impactful. Um, and the reason I ask that is because I need to know underneath the the shiny facade of we want to be a thought leader or we feel that content is critical for us um, there has to be more there and once i know that selfish reason which is very interesting how real some people get i've i've had everything from um i hate our competitor and i want them to die to you know i want to look good to my boss to reiterating saying no genuinely our entire ceo uh, our entire C-suite has said, if we don't have content out of the next six months, I'm fired. Like you get some really real responses when you ask that. And that allows you to go to the other side. So that example you mentioned of you're targeting an SEO keyword and they want to change it. I've experienced that. It's super frustrating. But when I had that moment, I was able to go back and say, hey, let's let's reset expectations. When I asked you what you truly wanted out of this, you said SEO rankings. If you still want that, we do need to keep this keyword. Um, you know, can you talk me through what's bugging you about it, and maybe we can find another way to frame it. Um, but at the end of the day, like you did ask me for this, I'm trying to deliver it for you. And I've had a an overwhelmingly positive response to that framework. I, I did have one situation where a client basically said, you know. You're, you're doing this all wrong. We, I know we said this, but we want this and you should have known. And I say, okay, like that, that's all right. And, and I did end up parting ways with that one client, but the concept of asking what's your selfish reason for doing this, like, let's get real with each other for a minute because you're going to be paying me a lot of money to make this, um, has been my best defense. Cause if you don't get that definition up front, you open yourself up to so many like, oh, I thought this would be helpful for you situations. And then they're kind of upset and it's a whole mess. And I mean, is that, is that still, are those still goals that people bring up? Um, you know, they want to have better SEO or they want to have uh, a better presence or a better brand or whatever. Uh, to me, it feels like a lot of brands are shifting to uh, how is it leading to sales today? How is that working? How, you know what I mean? Like yep. uh, less, I mean, even there was a thing earlier, I heard podcasts, most ads on podcasts are direct response ads, which is interesting because yeah. who types in URLs, but you know, so branding is kind of lagging behind. I mean, are those, 
those kind of goals are there they're pretty common when you talk to people or or how does that yeah so i'll get i'll get one of two types of comments so i, I definitely am seeing a lot of the like hey, if I'm paying you, how is this going to get me more clients? And then I get a little bit more of the like, yeah, we want the SEO. So when I get the, how is this going to get me clients? I instantly shift my strategy to, okay, you don't actually want blog content, for instance. What you really want is sales enablement content. So that might be a blog. A blog could be a tool of sales enablement. But my questions shift from, what's the content strategy, what's your distribution strategy, to what are the friction points in your sales process that a piece of content might make easier? For instance, does someone, does every prospect have the exact same question? And if we just write a, a blog post to answer that question, you're going to see a noticeable increase in sales. Um, and the way that I phrase that when I'm talking to clients is I ask, what are the uh, knowledge obstacles that once someone understands make your sales process easier? So that idea of like, oh, once you understand that it that it's this fast, that's awesome. Okay, I'm going to buy. And then what are the pitfalls or the uh, the potholes that once someone hits them, the entire thing is derailed. You know, as soon as you say the price, everyone goes running. Okay, so maybe you need some content that explains why your pricing model is the way it is or something like that. Now, on the other side, if someone says, hey, you know, I want SEO, I want brand, I want to be a thought leader. Uh, my response is still enthusiastic. I like writing that content, but I take a minute and just be a little bit more clear that what they're asking for is a long-term slow ROI commitment. And I'll just make that very clear and say, you know, SEO is awesome. And who knows, maybe the first article I write is going to hit number one on Google. It's happened before, but you need to understand that if you're asking me to do an SEO play, you're asking for long-term, you're asking to write a lot of content, whether me, you, or someone else and uh, you can't expect it immediately. So as long as those expectations are clarified ahead of time, then we can go off to the races. I actually have one client right now that said, we want SEO. And I said that little bit about, you've got to make a long-term investment. And the founder said, you know what, that's fine. I can go viral by myself with one article, but I don't have the energy to do it constantly. So I need to build a foundation for the long-term when I'm too busy. Uh, so it was perfect. It worked perfectly for them. Uh, but then I have another client that says we need to start selling things yesterday. And so our entire content strategy is identifying friction points in their sales process and developing targeted pieces of content that their sales reps will send out. So distribution is already taken care of. Yep. Um, of course, I don't think it's ever been more difficult. <laughs> right. It used to be much easier, the writing, writing oh, yeah. world, for sure different types of content of course you can check out stefan's book at ctrap.online forward slash freelance uh, where else can people find you and connect with you absolutely so i am very active on twitter at stefan palios s-t-e-f-a-n-p-a-l-i-o-s um, my dms are open too so feel free to say hi and then remotelyinclined.com is my newsletter about running businesses remotely fantastic thanks for joining us and for sharing all your insights thanks for having me you bet. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time.